0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I feel like I really hit the jackpot being able to spend an hour talking to Robin Butler and Wayne Hope. These two comedy geniuses are, in my humble opinion, some of the top talent this country has to offer. You will hear me banging on about upper-middle bogan, and with good reason. Whenever I discuss this show with my contemporaries, I always get the same response. Oh my God, I love that show. I love that show. When I shared I was interviewing Robin and Wayne, well, let's just say there was more than a little bit of jealousy from my peeps. And an apology up front, I crap on fangirling far too much in this episode. I'm sorry, I really am. Robin Butler and Wayne Hope, Comedy Royalty. Enjoy. My name is Wayne Hope and I am a laughaholic.
1: My name is Robin Butler and I am a laughaholic.
2: Very first well, we wrote a couple of things prior to making an FBS show called Stories from the Golf. I
0: think that was the first real thing. That was the
2: first real thing. So that was... A that sp-
0: before Librarians? Yes. Oh, yeah.
2: It was set in a Volkswagen Golf and each episode, a different person hired the car. <laughs> Lifeaholics, <laughs> celebrating laughter.
0: Recording in progress. Okay, so here's the deal that you may not know Robin Butler and Wayne Hope. That for anyone to be a guest on Laughaholics, I have to be a massive fangirl. <laughs> Simple. Because it, let's face it, there's millions of comedians in the world, there's millions of writers producers, but unless I actually go, I love them. I can't, I can't do the interview because I'm so transparent. And I remember talking to someone else on another episode, and I said, "I've got serious resting bitch face." So here it is. I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, <that's> so, <laughs> so. I have to, I have to smile a lot because if I'm not, I, I mean, I, I just, I just can't pretend. And so just being transparent, completely and utterly. Love you both so much. I'm such a fan of your work and. I was telling your your lovely assistant, who shall remain nameless because she's a superstar in her own right and I don't (laughs) want to watch her, but I did play around with her surname and called her something rude. Um, (laughs) I'm watching Upper Middle Bogan for the third time because I love it. I love everything about it. I know it was made ages ago. I wanted to bring that up first and foremost because you're so prolific. You've done so much work and I will touch on other things and your awards but i can't i can't get come on home by mel torme out of my head which to <laughs> me is just the most perfect opening track for any show it's just oh my god mel torme i mean he's got a voice like caramel right and my dad used to listen to him
2: uh. but,
0: but everything about upper middle bogan for me because it's a thing that I, I i keep going back to with your work is that It represents Australia on such a broad level that every single character is lovingly crafted, and that's what I love, that it's so kind and funny and respectful. And Robin Malcolm, who plays the mum, who I just, oh, my God, want to marry her, you'd never know she was a Kiwi. Normally it's quite evident, but it's not with her, right? (laughs) So I just just wanted to say up front that I really appreciate your work. And I also love your love story and it's, and you're also the inaugural couple on laugh So wow. give yourselves a clap. Yay. Thank much. you. So can we just talk, first of all, I mean, I do want to go back to your, your history in terms of where comedy started for both of you, but I wanted to congratulate you on your actor award for love online or love in lockdown, because I just thought it was one of the most delightful things and is it true that you wrote it, recorded it, and edited six episodes in seventeen days? I think it was nineteen days. What seventeen? Yeah, it. No, I've Robin, had it.
2: and Robin, should know she set the clock because when she uh, came up with the idea with Lucy Durack, she came downstairs. She has an office just above me and said, "We've got a. We should make this series, this web series, in lockdown." But if we're going to do it, we need to do it super fast because everyone's going to be sick of this type of content real quick about being in lockdown. And I thought, because we usually make shows over like a three-year, three-to-five-year period from starting (laughs) to delivery, so I thought by quick, she probably means, you know, we're going to try and do this in a year or... (laughs) <laughs> and uh, no it was like, no, don't change out of your pajamas for seventeen days and just. Uh, so we did we, from from the, the two of them writing it to us, shooting and releasing it, um, it, was
1: seventeen days. And it was so much fun because of that. It reminded us of being really young at the beginning of our career when we were just you didn't need to wait for permission for anything well because you couldn't get permission for anything. <laughs> no, <I said> yes. <laughs> you couldn't get permission, you couldn't even get a meeting half the time. So it just felt like, well, we could just do this. And and when you're working with people like Lucy and then Eddie, perfect. They're just, I mean, you're sort of working with the cream of the talent. And 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 we brought our kind of skill level to it to bring that sort of level of skill to something so sort of simple.
0: It was really quite glorious. Yeah. It really was. But it is glorious. I mean, it's a glorious project. I discovered it because I was doing my research on Eddie Perfect before I interviewed him and I wasn't aware of it because like so many people I mean I'm aware of it now I've told everyone about it but like so many people I mean I didn't watch the news I wasn't connected to I couldn't stand the real world and mm. so a lot of the time I was watching up a middle bogan on the couch <laughs> just, so when I saw this and I, I just sat there and watched the whole watched all six episodes and thought oh just love this it's so great and and Lucy I mean Lucy she's our own Reese with a spoon she she's just Everybody loves her and she doesn't have resting bitch face, which for that I will hate her forever. It's so, it is delicious and it is glorious. So congratulations to both of you for doing that. And and I know I mentioned I watched um, the Australian story that was done on you as part of, a, you know, a couple, it was like an, an ensemble um, episode. And I want to see more episodes. I want to see more. I want to see what happens to those characters because it's so, it's so yummy. It's really, and, and as you said, Wayne, you can't do it again because it would meet another pandemic. We had it on the pandemic.
2: Well, yeah, it was a uh, you know, it's a throwaway line to go, oh, as if we'll be in this for much longer. <laughs> but, well, that was the first lockdown. Six lockdowns later, I'm going, oh. you know, where's the six seasons of that show? Yeah. But
0: and what I'm inspired by, uh, by as a performer myself is I mean, I spent most of that time completely isolated, which was very, very difficult for an extrovert like me. And not being able to see my only son, who he was thrilled. I mean, he's half an hour away in Kensington, but he's like, he said to me, Mum. Can you imagine what it would have been like if if we were locked down together and I said, Gewalt, Jewish mother, I just would have fed you until you exploded. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to ask you where it all started for you. I mean, I also love your love story. You are joined at the hip creatively and romantically. But, Robin, when you were little Robin, when you were coming home from school, where did you grow up and what did you watch when you came home from school and what did you watch with your parents? What were the shows that you just, you go back and go, oh, I remember laughing at that? I grew up in Sydney.
1: But we moved around a little bit. We didn't own a home, and so we moved to rentals for for quite a while. So, but I kind of lived in the inner west in Sydney. So we moved. We lived in love it. But I I kind of grew up in Strathfield. Is my where? That's where I went to school, and we moved around a lot around there. My mum and dad. My dad was a teacher. My mum was a nurse, and we were kind of latchkey kids. And I. Would just come home and watch television. So from a very young age, and I would watch just the sitcoms that were on, Gilligan's Island, Grady ah! Bunch, I Dream of Genie, just all those. Get Smart. I
0: always maintain that Get Smart taught me how to write. Oh my God, perfection, Mel Brooks, perfection.
1: Mel Brooks. It was like the the rule of three. I mean, if you look at something like Little Lunch, that is Get Smart essentially. The 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 rhythms and the jokes. Of that show, I believe, is just because that's what I was watching when I was 10 or, you know, younger, and I just learnt that pattern I, I used to love I Dream of Jeannie, not because of Jeannie. I always thought Jeannie was, you know, an instrumental, but I used to I used to love Larry Hagman and Bill Daly, I think his name was, Major Major Healy. Major, Major Nelson. Oh Major, Major, Major Healy. Major the, Nelson and Major mm. Healy. Yeah. Who just did the best line in Fast, which still is the thing that makes me laugh yeah, so hard laugh. when people have to make an excuse for something, I just, I love that kind of floundering for for something. And there's a, quite a bit of that in, in Upper Middle Bogan, which I just love, M- miscommunications and things, not when it's annoying like Frank Spencer or something, you know, oh, yeah. Annoying, but just in those basic things. And I really do think it it, it was part of that, you know, my, that's my origin story. That's what I used to watch on my own. And then with my parents, they watched a lot of British, we watched the ABC a lot, we watched a lot of British shows, but my mum loved Mary Tyler Moore.
0: Oh, me too. Yeah. I loved her. I, I was so young, but I loved I just And the throwing the hat up in the, it was just, because it was the first show where we saw a woman as the star. That's right. And she was single and she was a career woman. And so
1: my mum just adored that. And she also really, really loved
0: Bob Newhart Oh, wasn't he just oh I mean seriously even when he kept popping up on on um the no the um big bang theory oh, and right. like, yeah. he was about 110 and they still, he was there he's yeah. still his timing was extraordinary
1: and I think that was a really instrumental thing for me too because he was so dry and quiet and my mum you know they had the records of that and yeah he, to William Shakespeare and, and I think for me that was very, I've, I've got a very dry sense of humour. As, as much as I love that sort of silly fast stuff, I've also got a very dry sense of humour and I think my mum and her bent,
0: you know, kind of influenced that. So, Wayne, um, and thank you, Robin, because I, I loved all, all of those shows and I, just in terms of Get Smart, it really was, even though we were really young watching it, and a lot of the jokes, I mean, if I ever watch a rerun now, I just think, oh, my God, it was it was so, so sharp. But it was across the board. That's how comedy was so different when we were growing up. We were so lucky. We were spoilt for choice. And, in fact, when I was talking to the extraordinary Vince sorrenti recently, he was saying it was all comedy. You think about what, what young people are watching now. Like we, we could any day... And it was all we had was free to air, but there was Mm. comedy, you know, to the ceiling, and we were just so lucky. So, Wayne, when you were little Wayne, when you were a little bub, because I can just, I can imagine you would look exactly the same as you do now, as cute as a button.
2: Pretty, yeah.
0: What was it like for you coming home from school? What did you you watch?
2: Simon Townsend's Wonderworld. Oh,
0: my God, yes. Probably
2: the starting point. (laughs) So that's where you made your toasted cheese. That was on in the background, and I set up the, the griller and put between four and eight slices of white bread with craft Singles, tomato sauce first, then craft Singles, <laughs> add on top, melt those and then sit down for the remainder of that. <laughs> and then cycle through up until dinner time, similar to Robin, like, you know, Get Smart, Gilligan's Island, I Dream of genie, Bewitched.
0: Oh, Bewitched. Oh, gee, I loved her. I loved yeah. her. And she didn't, she had to do that. She moved her mouth. It wasn't her nose. No. It was, no.
2: It was mm. Yeah. Loved all of those. I think rhythmically all of those things, absorbing that from a young age, the rhythm of especially American comedy was, you know, intoxicating, loved. And then probably via the parents at some point, Norman Gunston, seeing that really captured my imagination.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: I only later realised why it was so captivating. I mean... That is such an odd character to present and to get a spot on mainstream television looking back on it, that this highly anxious creature who was darting about and but was was really subversive for one, but presented he he presented a kind of anxious man being funny and being subversive at the same time. And I
1: related deeply
2: As I did with um, Colin Carpenter with Kim Gingell's character.
0: Oh, yes. Who,
2: and Kim Gingell I was fascinated in, you know, through all of his sketch because he too seemed to come at things from a different angle that I didn't consciously know but I was hooked by what those two men were trying to do and then later realised that I thought they were quite subversive and different and loved and, and kind of very different rhythm comically, which I loved. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, that would be my childhood.
0: And I love the fact that you've ended up working with, with Kim Gingell in very small business. And when I first watched that, I just went, oh, my God, I've been in those offices. And it's, it's, it was as stressful for me because it's really funny, but it was for me like watching Faulty Towers because it was like watching my insane father, just that absolutely crazy pom with this terrible temper and watching... Kim and you you together on very small business and just how dodgy it all is and I thought I have I've worked for people like that I've been the one answering the phone and trying to get rid of the debtors and you know it's just it's so so clever I love all of those and I love just when you were talking about making your toasted cheese with Simon Chanzen on the background I just remembered how much I ate as a teenager incredible Two bowls of cereal,
2: yes, and it's an hour and a half before you're going to sit down for
0: <laughs> dinner. And then you, but you never said, "Oh, I can't eat." I've had eighteen pieces of bread. You just, <laughs> you just awesome. did it.
2: You you'd be just, hovering. What's for dinner? I'm yes. not hungry. That's right.
0: That's right. So if we go back, so, I mean, that's a really great strong pedigree in terms of the stuff that you were watching, the stuff that you fell in love with. What about your parents? What were the things that you watched with them? Because when I was talking to Cal Wilson the last episode, she was talking about we, we learned what was funny by watching our parents cry at stuff, like just, oh, my God, you're just seeing them. And we didn't really know what they were laughing at, but we kept watching it because we wanted to get in on the joke. So was there something like that for either of you?
2: For me, no. It's a, it'd be a hard no. I think my comedy is bought out of awkwardness and the awkwardness that they <laughs> there wasn't that we we didn't sit around laughing at shows. Um, there was a lot of tension in the house. Mine too. Yeah, my job was to lance that. So. It That's was, a
0: very good description, like lancing a boil. You yeah. had to do that. Yeah, my dad, yeah. my I have it. My dad's a dead alcoholic, so I completely relate to that awkward tension yeah. in the house. Yeah, you yeah. laughed when you were told to laugh.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you kind of created try to to come at it from another angle and and kind of provide this different. And I don't know what got me onto that. Oh, you know what? Speaking of show, there is one show, Dick Emery. Oh, say, and that was one. I used to do this terrible impersonation. I mean, if you look back now, he's probably the most wrong <laughs> comic you could oh, yeah. conjure. Um, but I think they watched that and I used to mimic some of what he did, which would make them laugh. So I kind of did that But also
1: they were Dutch migrants. Yeah. And so oh. I their first language to begin with. So you can see why they would grasp something like that was broad yeah. and kind of mocked in, I don't really remember Dick Emery, to be honest, but I think probably was just mocking British life. So it was probably funny to them. Yeah. Yeah. Like because it was accessible, you know. Yeah. But You you did have that as well as having a very as well as having a very violent, turbulent <laughs> setting. <laughs> you
2: yeah, that that was there as well. I, yeah, um, yeah. it was
0: that? You know, when you mentioned Dick Emery, it took me back to that time because Danny LaRue was a big star at that time, and and the British have fascination with with cross dressing. They <laughs> always have. Oh, no we. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. I mean, yeah. Look at Edna. I yeah. mean, and although Edna, Edna's. I remember Andrew Denton interviewing Edna and the first question the first thing he said to Edna was Edna doesn't have breasts. And it was the first time I'd noticed that Edna did not have breasts. It's just straight up and down. And when you, when you know that, it's a completely different way of looking at that character. Really, really interesting. And I saw Edna in Julia Child. I saw that movie last week, which if you haven't seen it, it'll pop up on streaming somewhere. But it's a documentary on Julia Child, who was that American yeah, yeah. T- a television chef. So I just went, oh, my God, Barry Humphreys is taken you know because it's, it's so you look at her and went oh my god she even edna even sounds like her that whole obsessiveness you know stanley baxter was another person who did a lot of female characters you know in drag and then there's a whole little britain thing which has completely been cancelled now because of how wrong the whole thing is yeah when you mentioned dutch migrants uh, my first serious boyfriend was dutch i remember I've, I've learned how to say two things in dutch uh one is which means how goes it how are you and the other one is pick, which means big dick. And um, I,
2: I, but I Can want to you tell you, you something. <laughs> you could use
0: both. <laughs> you could use Well, here's the thing I'll tell you this quickly because I, I mean, it'll never come up in conversation again. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was in this little little Vietnamese restaurant in Northcote. I think it's called Lam Lam or Bam Bam or one of those. You know, and it's always before COVID, always packed. And everyone would go there for the rice paper rolls. It was just just phenomenal. And one of the one of the waiters was walking past and he was hiding this cake with sparklers on it. And he looked at me and he had this really cheeky face. And I, I thought, what's he doing? And because you know I'm I'm nosy. I mean I, I think that's probably why I got into comedy. I just I love watching people and I'm nosy. So I, I got up and I walked, followed him and he put this cake on the table. And it was very, very badly put together dick and balls with (laughs) white icing all over it. So it was really gross, right? Uh So I've gone down and looked at the table and completely barged into this, this, this party. And I just went, oh, my God. Look at that cake. And this girl said, oh, my God, you're Tracy Bartram. And I said, yes, I am, and I'm sorry for barging in. But I said, I have to know what this cake's about. And she said, (laughs) this is an older couple sitting there just sort of smiling and looking a bit awkward. And she said, oh, she said, this is my uncle and auntie, and they've just arrived. Arrived from the Netherlands today. And so we thought we'd take them out to dinner and give them a cake. And I looked at them and said, Who created? You have a to pig. And they went, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: and
0: I had been waiting since I was 17 to be able to use those words in a sentence. That's hilarious. And they were so impressed with me. And then of they course went, they, were. they were. But they talked back to me, wait, I didn't know another word in Dutch. I just said, Gotta go. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> it just, I thought, what are the odds of that? So it just showed me that the Dutch sense of humor is very, compared to what I'm used to, on a completely different tangent. It was just very, very odd. Mm. It's just yeah.
2: odd. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah I, I, having only kind of my parents and their extended families, I have very little evidence of it existing at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think that's absolutely, it's absolutely hilarious So let's, when we talk about awkward Can we talk about Boytown for a moment? Because if our listeners have not seen Boytown You must see Boytown Just transparency, watched it three times I mean, it sounds obsessive Because it's so bad, it's great Because it's supposed to be It's supposed to be awkward Robin, of course, you're in it as well I just love how incredibly awkward it is And it seems to me that seems to be the crux of a lot of our Australian humour, that we, we're comfortable with the awkward, that we yeah. are an awkward species, Australians, where we're not, you know, we're all a bit rough around the edges, even though, even, even the Cape Blanchettes. I mean, seriously, I just think that Boytown is a, is a triumph in terms of if you want to watch something and really laugh at Australians... That's it. It wasn't a stretch for you to step into that character of Carl, was it?
2: It was. It was delightful. Look, the overriding concept of a middle-aged boy band, just as you say that, you smile, which everyone (laughs) did. You kind of went, that's a really good, clean idea to do. And so it was easy. And sitting amongst that company, you know, Bob Franklin, Glenn Robbins, um, it was... Just a joy to be in and to live out. It was just a complete living out of fantasy for me. I got to go to festi- perform at Festival Hall up on stage with a screaming crowd. Yes. And there was no, I'm not pretending, this is, you know, in my mind this was real. <laughs> I was living out a real moment there uh, despite it being all synthesizers and harmonies. not <laughs> quite the rock I was after, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. Interesting when we when they <laughs> when it was in the cinema, our girls were little at the time. I can't remember what age, but but not any would have been under ten.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. 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 Like uh, she was about five. Yeah. yeah, and
2: we went, and of course they being very young. When children see you on screen, that you know it's literal. That's that is you. It's it's the, there's no it's there's a yeah there isn't that separation perhaps. So the last scene of that. Film spoiler alert for people here. <laughs> you know they all die in a plane crash, <laughs> and so we get to the end of this comedy and it finishes. And our girls are bawling yeah. their eyes
1: inconsolable, oh. and I said to Mick, "What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, Mick Malloy? That is, yeah. Oh my god.
2: Um, yeah. But oh, yes, yes, very." Subversive ending yeah. uh, to a to a comedy,
0: but I love the fact that it was subversive. I love the fact that it wasn't a happy ending. You know, we're, we're so sick of bloody happy endings. Yeah. I, I mean, although having said that, you know, loving lockdown, where Lucy says rom coms have to have to have an happy happy ending, and you have been described as your own rom com, you too, because. <laughs> Well, because you know, I, I was married for quite a long time and we did work together, but you've made it work. I mean, I, I I believe you've just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Do you have any routines in terms of what you will or won't do to make sure that you don't clash? Because I mean, having a creative partnership when you're when you're a couple can be really fraught with tension and I have lived it where at each other's throats and then someone comes around, and you go, Hello, you know, like everything's fine. How do you keep things balanced i
1: think there's a few things i think we have different skill sets that we we don't compete for the same space at the moment we're mounting a show and we've
0: got a couple of things in development as well are we talking about summer love here that summer love so let's talk about summer love in a tick but tell, tell me the secrets first and then we'll talk about summer love and so, do you have do you have the rights from sherbet to use the song <laughs> It's <laughs> so cool I
2: know
1: So Wayne will, you know, at the moment, for an example He's in charge of sort of all the contracting and all the business side of it And I'm kind of across other areas of the show, casting and other things well, He is that as well But I'm also across one of the other shows that needs writing um, and I'm working with other writers on that. So we just sort of split up and divide and conquer essentially. So sometimes we're together on things and sometimes we're not, like it's like any company. You're not all, two people don't sort of march through the day together doing absolutely everything together. Having said that, when we do come together, we've written one of the episodes here or when we're re- doing a rewrite on one of the episodes that somebody else has written, we just love it. We we love working together, we bring out the best in each other. That's not to say that we don't disagree about things. You know, we were watching auditions the other day and we just completely disagreed about everybody we were watching. But it doesn't end in a fight or anything. It's just like, oh, well, why? Why did you think that? And why? Okay, well, I'll hear that and you know Wayne will eventually see my point of view yeah, um,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's given. what changes across time is the length of time before I
1: exactly you acquiesce. just learn to quickly say oh I'll just say quick I'll just say yes so, <laughs> and the other thing we saw, we said to each other the other day we're kind to each other we are kind but when I sometimes I hear other couples talk to each other, Or talk about each other and I would, I just would never talk smack about Wayne to any, I might say, you know, I might tell a girlfriend, oh my God, we had this fight or something, but it's after we've talked about it. It's not, I don't go and bitch behind Wayne's back or because that's not productive for me. I would rather not be in a relationship than, than do that. Yeah. We don't call each other names. We argue. I mean, it's not easy. Being married, being in a working relationship with someone, whether you're married or not, is is not easy. It requires work. We 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 have the a ceiling of what we're capable of in any time. You know, we're emotionally limited by all our given circumstances.
2: But we met working together, so that we've got the shared interest is that we love making content, we love writing and producing and directing. And when that's a shared interest and a genuine one, you know, it's not an awful task to go to work together because it's we're passionate, we love what we do. So that helps a lot because we're both serving our own deep interest and and creative interests. So to align then
1: in a relationship. (laughs) But we could, like sometimes I say, when we're doing a task together, I I say, I think we could run a restaurant or something like that because we've just got (laughs) our skill sets match. Like I'm very, (laughs) I'm creative and can sort of just feel things and see things. I'm that sort of person. And Wayne's very
0: technical and can, we just, we just, yeah. Interspersed yeah. well,
2: don't yeah. we? It does. It, it,
0: uh, mm. I love that uh, description because I also, what I also love was that Eddie Perfect had told me that when you were putting together Love in Lockdown, you put together this, these little kits that you sent one to Eddie and one to Lucy. And then on the Australian story, there's. there's Footage of you holding up a piece going, you're going over the same thing to the YouTube guy. (laughs) I just thought I would never have the patience. I know that you met on Small Tales and True, which was a a project that you co-wrote, Robin. How did you know? Who made the first move? When did you go from being colleagues to, well, I'm feeling something deeper?
2: Well, Robin denies it, but she clearly made the first move. (laughs) I was, uh, we'd made... I was an actor on this show, Small Tales and True, that Robin created, co-created for Foxtel. So I was asked to do two episodes of that show. One of them was playing Robin's husband, the role of her husband in one of the episodes. And we did that and it was great and I loved it and felt, oh, my God, this is amazing and she's incredible and funny and this feels unreal, sitting on a couch together looking at camera and um, I could probably sit here for ages. And then Robin rang me. I remember I was going down Punt Road in my 1979 two-door Celica and I lifted Excellent. my brick phone at the time and she... Uh, Was on the other end and said, Would you like to come out for a drink for a rap party? Which she insists was just an invitation to cast for a rap party. And I took it to be, She wants to have a life with
0: me. (laughs) 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 So, Robin, um, when you made that call, and by the way, what colour was the Celica, if you don't mind? Silver. Beautiful. Uh, And interior?
2: Black. Oh, black vinyl. Whoa. Not the summer, but just so <laughs> very
0: cool. Yeah, outstanding, yeah. outstanding. Yeah, I've got, I've got the image. I'm, I'm looking at the hair. You know, there would have yeah. been a bit of mullety stuff going on still. Yeah. Always, yeah. Always, yeah. And also, because all the young kids have got mullets now. And I said to some guy in a supermarket the other day, I said, "Is that your real hair?" And he went, "Yes." And I said, "No, sorry, I'm, you know, I'm old enough to be your mum, and we grew up with mullets." He goes, "We're all wearing mullets now." And I just yeah. think. Why? Oh, I know. Why? They're so ugly. Now, Robin, when you made that call to Wayne Hope, yes. Come on, full transparency here. Was it an offer to spend your life with him or was it purely a, a drink? It was purely a drink and it was oh. a
1: little bit out of compassion because <laughs> <laughs> he. Oh,
0: it, oh ouch. <laughs> Wayne, ouch. We <laughs>
1: had broken up. With his partner a couple of months beforehand. And I knew that that had been a big deal. And I hadn't been, I'd moved out with my two year old a couple of months before. And I knew what that felt like to sort of have your life kind of suddenly. So I said to his friend who was a co writer on the show, I should ask, do you think I should ask Wayne out when we all go out for drinks? Do you think that would be good? And I think I even said to him, Do you want to give him a call and go, you give him a call if you want? Like that was so I gave him a call and that was my thinking. Having said that, when we went out for drinks, we found ourselves sitting together and I didn't
0: talk to him. Mysteriously,
1: Wayne. Mysteriously. I probably because I'd made the call and said, you know, so I but then I couldn't stop speaking to him all night. I didn't speak to I don't think we spoke to anybody else no. the whole night. And then... We had a little bonded experience because we felt like, oh, we're sort of in a similar position where you know. But I, I did not think that I would be. I, I honestly, I had a two-year-old, and I was very protective, I suppose, of of that and her. I call her her more than that, honestly. <laughs> um, but, but then, so we went out a few times, just as sort of friends. Yeah. But then you know, my tummy would go groovily whenever I saw him and I started thinking, oh, I think this is more than that. So full disclosure, I kissed him. Yeah. And I think he was still protesting. I think I was saying something like, Wayne, I feel like there's something going on between us, and you were the one going, "Oh yeah, but I'm not
0: sure i are going to be friends." <laughs> to Where were you, and under what circumstances did you plant one on Wayne Hope? I was in my apartment. I was on my
1: IKEA lounge, yes. uh, my, my IKEA. I'd completely bought um, new. It was very sparsely decorated. My new flat. But um, but I, I bought everything sort of cheaply at Ikea and I was sitting on the lounge, which I absolutely loved, and uh, it was nice
0: and I think that's all I remember. What colour was the Ikea lounge? It was floral. floral. It was floral. Yeah,
2: I remember that well. I think I was propped up on the edge of it just prior to that because I used to um, way back then smoke, you know, Peter stoves and soft packs because that was We
0: all smoked and you let him smoke in the flat? No, you
2: that's, that's why I was propped up on the back of the couch because she well, you had gorgeous Molly, two years old, so it was like, if you're smoking you have to pop your head out the flat and she lived upstairs, second floor,
0: third floor, third
2: floor mm. so I was leaning out this uh, <laughs> there finish that, lovely finished a cigarette,
0: and then had kissed you. Yeah. So, no, actually, no, Robin's admitted that she kissed you. If so, she... the ne- next question, were you a smoker? Because why would you want to kiss someone who's just, who smells like an ashtray? No, what was going on there?
1: Probably says the level of, I wasn't a smoker, but probably says the level
0: of attraction. I didn't actually mind. Right. I didn't well, even mind. But, but let's face it. it, let's face it, Wayne is hot. He's hot. <laughs> He's hot. You are, Wayne, you are. So, okay, you become a couple, what was the first project that you worked on, that you collaborated on?
2: Uh, the very first, well, we wrote a couple of things prior to making an FBS show called Stories from the Golf. I
0: think that was the first real thing. That was the first
2: yeah. real thing. So that was a, That
0: before Librarians? Yes. Oh, yeah. So oh. it was
2: just a series of five-minute episodes where uh, it was set in a Volkswagen Golf and each episode a different person hired the car. <laughs> And it was a rental company, so it was just a great way to do that. Robin came up with the idea. I remember we were at MSAC, the pool, and she swam over and said, I've had this idea about making something. And so we made three episodes ourselves because uh, it was just at the point where the technology was we could grasp that we could shoot something ourselves. and Robin was very going, you know, bugger it. let's not wait for an, another approval or for someone to say, yes, let's make something, which just goes to the core of her, really. That's, that says a lot about her.
0: Well, still happening with Love in Lockdown.
2: Oh, Totally, it, totally. It's her to a T. I mean, you know, there's not a week goes by where she goes, I wonder if we could
0: <laughs>
2: take a deep breath because here comes five years of our lives. She's, you know, incredible with the, the volume of ideas that she has within her. And so she had this idea and I thought, yeah, we can, we could make that. Uh, so we made it very, very cheaply with a bunch of friends and then SBS heard about it and ordered 13 of them and that was our kind of start.
1: Because we had 65 minutes of television now, of screen, produced screen time, which meant that you were suddenly expecting you had access to different levels of funding, you know, things that required an hour of produced screen. You had screen credits. We had that. It was on a Saturday night at, at just before the movie started on SBS and because there was nothing on television, we kind of got reviewed every week and we just got these glowing reviews and we got nominated for an AFI at the time before the actors. It was just crazy and it just... It's ridiculous. It's a, the funniest, craziest little series, but it sort of put us on the map. And what it did, when we finally got to make the librarians, when we Scott Meek, his name was the um, new executive that came over from the BBC and found the librarian script on his desk, he said, "Well, you guys are a production company, right? Will you just make this?" And we sort of looked at each other. And went, <laughs> yes,
2: uh-huh. we are. Yes, yeah.
0: And so that's <laughs> like- so where did the name Grist Mill come from? Uh,
2: look, it's from the saying "grist to the mill." Um, yep, of course. And and it was just I, I don't I can't remember. Do oh, because remember? yeah,
1: because it was like we had this just time in the wilderness. I mean, I had two years where I could not get a job to save myself. I just had said no to a lot of acting work. I said no to all those panel kind of shows because I wanted to be a writer. Small Towns and True was just what I wanted to do. I wanted to write and perform and do make shows like that. And I signed a development deal with a company and I spent a year writing and then sort of nothing came to anything. Everything just seemed so hard. I think I took 10 scripts to the ABC, not always via me, but sometimes via a production company or whatever. And just couldn't get anything. I just couldn't get a job. And we just used to say grist to the mill, it's grist to the mill. Let's just bank this. Let's bank these bank every experience and all these feelings. And we would just say that to each other. And so when we finally got the chance to name a company, we call it, we thought, well, let's make it the sum of the experiences so far. And it's still true. Like still. Yep. We have really hard days and the bigger you get too, the more complicated things become and bigger deals
0: get and, you know, we still go grist to the mill, you know. I love that though. I mean, I think that's, you know, I, I hate this word, but the only one that comes to me is inspiring because our industry is so hard and particularly in this country that we, we live here because we want to live here, we want to live in this this incredible environment. I mean, I don't want to live in America. I don't want to live in Britain. I was born in Britain. We live here because we're Australians and we need to live in Australia. And I think it's great when Australians go overseas and have massive success. But I like living in Nunawading with a garden where I can make compost. It's those things. When I when I talk to my American friends, they say, "You're making compost? Oh my god! How, how do you do that?" You know. And I, it's just for me, it's it's like what is the life that we choose to live? And I mean, it's one of the reasons I started this podcast. I wanted to talk to to people I really admire in my industry where it's been the worst two years of our lives yeah. and and hopefully we'll never go any, through anything as horrible again. But there is that grist to the mill that I'd love the fact, Robin, that you just kept going, you just kept showing up, you just kept putting the scripts on the table and then this guy at the ABC picks it up and says, hey, you're a production company. So, I mean, l- the librarians, when I first saw that, I just went, oh my God, Robin Butler, I want to be like her when I grow up. I mean, I really no because it's so clever, Robin. It's so it's so clever. You're both so great in it, and again, this the same be, you know, beautiful ensemble, people cast that you put together. It's so fantastic. You discovered that things you could work together, that you could create things together. If we look at then, you know, I'm jumping ahead. I know, but upper middle bogan. Mm-hmm. How do you decide who's going to be in it, and where did you find Robin Malcolm? Because again, she's a Kiwi. What was it that put her into because she's she's so convinced, she's so amazing. The entire cast, the absolute cast, I mean, little Oscar, he's just, oh, I love every single person in that cast. There's nobody hateful. They've all got beautiful qualities. And that's the stuff I, I love, that there's there's nothing, no one's turned out, no one's portrayed to be an asshole. Yeah, well, everyone's different. got something great going for them.
2: Yeah, Nathan Lloyd did the casting on that, who we've worked with, a casting agent who we've used many, many times and um, worked really well with. He's fantastic, and it was an exhaustive kind of search. We took a long time to cast that show. with well,
0: so many people. There's so yeah. many people.
2: An ensemble of 11. It was insane, you know, to, to do. And to shoot because of that but we did take a long time we're putting two families together so it did require a really considered approach like sometimes we write with people in mind and even if that doesn't come to fruition it's good to have a placeholder for that but someone like Glenn Robbins
1: we wrote with
2: him in mind mind, so and and it gave us okay that's that family and he's the head of it was kind of that family.
1: And Patrick, I think we wrote, Patrick, Patrick Bramble. we had him in mind because we'd
0: been wanting to work with him. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, yeah. they're both fantastic. And just before we go on, I need to tell you a little fun fact. I met Glenn Robbins for the very first time when we were both in the back of a car going to the Xanadu dance contest <laughs> in, at Chases in Chapel Street, and he won't remember <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, my he was He was a young actor and I, I wasn't even thinking about doing comedy and we we had some guy, some friend, it was a guy called Pierre who had a shop in Chapel Street called Gene Makers and we were going to this party together and, and Glenn was there and I remember sitting in the back going, oh, my God, he's cute, and he didn't look at me at all. <laughs> But, you know, he's just, he's so beautiful as a dad in Upper Middle Boca. I mean, they're, they're all so perfectly cast. I mean, you know, Glenn Robbins, come on, seriously. So beautiful. Robin Nevin,
1: oh. we've, she we've never thought of her, but we went to see a, an MTC play one night while we were developing it and... she was so astonishing. And I just said to Wayne, she's Nanny Margaret. She's got to be
0: Nanny Margaret. And that was incredible. That that was her first television that she'd done in 15 years. Oh, she's extraordinary. And I love the way Edwina says Nanny Margaret, like really sets the tea out at the end. Yes, that's right. Yes, Nanny Margaret's on the (laughs) phone. We're going to the the French Film Festival with Nanny Margaret. (laughs) I mean, Robin Nevin, you know, Australian acting royalty, extraordinary woman. Yeah. She's incredible.
2: And to come and be part of a large ensemble like that, like she was just incredible, incredible leadership. Yeah, she loved the show. She really understood, I think, connected with what we were trying to do um, thematically with the show and just, she served it beautifully. Robin Malcolm, uh, I think, was via.
1: She just did a self test. We'd never even heard of her, much to our shame. Wow. Yeah. We didn't know. And so this woman came on and. It was hard to cast. It was hard to cast the Bogan family, the Wheeler family, because a lot of actresses who we saw who were brilliant, you know, really, really wonderful actresses. But a lot of people assumed that when you are going to be a, B- a Bogan, that you're going to talk like this, and you're going to sort of bang something on. It's like, that's not, we're no. all, it's just from the suburbs. That's just who we are. Yes. It's just from the suburbs. And just be yourself, just it, you know. It's, we often describe it, it's about volume. Sometimes it's as simple as, you know, maybe it's your tease, but it's also, it's just raising your voice a little more can make you instantly more bogan than, and, and Robin Malcolm just appeared on this self test and we just went, oh my God, who is she? And again, Nathan had just sort of, you know, put it out there across the,
2: and she's, she was extremely comfortable in her own skin, which is another quality. That's what
0: I love about her.
2: Yeah. And so she would present and she loved, like, you know, we would, the, the Wheeler family would would often be doled up. Like they loved getting, getting the gear on, getting some jewelry on, full yeah. makeup, you know, that thing. And she would just be so comfortable with her body and, yes. and just sit in it. And, and
1: she doesn't mind if there's tummy rolls. And Julie Wheeler loves flesh you know so she loves having cut out bits yes. of a lot of actresses care about how they're presenting on screen and robin doesn't have any of that ego no. she doesn't she just doesn't care at all which makes her such an incredible actress, actor.
2: And it's really compelling. It's really yeah. compelling to see someone free with themselves.
0: That's, and that's seriously, you've hit it on the head because, of course, I'm not telling you anything you don't know because you created the show. But as a performer watching a show like that, as I've said, for the third time, The reason I watch it, well, I've watched it three times in lockdown. That's my truth. I've also watched Kitty Flanagan's show Fisk three times in lockdown. (laughs) I've also watched twice, if you haven't seen Sort Of, S-O-R-T, of Sort Of, just dropped on Stan. It's... um, I'd love to know what you think of it. It's not a comedy. It's where the, the key, the lead character is the first ever uh, gender-fluid Pakistani Muslim on television. Ah. And it's, a, a, but, I mean, it, he's not the character. They they use the pronoun they. They, they co-created it. And um, so when I watch something over and over, because I did mention, I do live with ADHD. I have this compulsive nature where I need to keep digging because something's I felt something and watching Upper Middle Bogan for me was I, Robin Malcolm uh, and all of them, but I was particularly intrigued by Robin Malcolm because not only is she an extraordinary actor, but there was, you could feel her heart, you could feel her her heart in her performance. Yeah. And I found that incredibly moving because yeah. it's absolutely a comedy, but the best comedies for me are the ones where you feel something. You, yeah. you feel something apart from laughing at, I mean, and, and then Michaela Bannis will say that, and you, you know, it's hilarious. It's really, really funny. But Robin Malcolm, you're right. She's got an extraordinary quality. And of course I did the deep dive down the rabbit hole. Cause I want to see another series. And what I read was you can't do it because everyone's scattered. It's just too hard to get people together, but isn't it great to finish on a high with a project like that? Let's talk about summer love because that's a completely different, model for you where there's so many people writing on this project
2: yeah so that's a new show that we've just got uh making for the abc I mean, we'll be shooting that in the start of 2022 and it's an anthology series based on an idea robin had 20 years ago
1: in that year of wilderness that i was talking about that i just couldn't was one of the ideas that i developed and then last year we revisited it so it's, there you go, Yeah, Chris it's, to the Mill.
2: It's Chris to the Mill. It's a series set in a holiday house down the coast over summer and um, it's an anthology series where different personal people hire the house for each episode. is is a different set of people with an overarching theme of love in whatever form that takes and it gave us an opportunity to go out to a whole bunch of different writers, which is something – We normally do most of the writing in-house, but we really wanted to get other voices on board. It was really important to us to hear other stories uh, and provide opportunities to hear other stories. And it's been a magnificent period of development where we've worked with these teams and the scripts are, you know, we think, terrific. And
1: And so different, like everything is so different. It was really important to us to kind of, when we had an opportunity to you can't get other voices writing up middle bogan because it's our voices writing up middle bogan you're just yeah. right like we do but in a holiday house you go well, what's your version of a summer holiday in australia what's nazim hussain's sri lankan muslim background what's what's your version of that um what's what's it like when two gay guys get the get the house to themselves like what stories that we can't step inside but it's my favourite thing of stepping inside someone else's story and hearing how they live and what they think and how they see the world and we've had the opportunity to do that and it's been it's been challenging because it's been in lockdown mostly over zoom people are everywhere and it's trying to coordinate eight different sort of voices to somehow still be in the one show And it's been
0: incredibly joyful, hasn't it? Yeah. Mm. Do you act in it, the two of you? Will we see you in Summer Love?
2: We've written an episode and um, we're going to perform in that episode.
0: I wanted to ask not only because I love love your your work and I love seeing you on screen, but there was something I'm going to get. I actually, actually am feeling a bit emotional, but in a really, really sincere way. I heard on the Australian Story interview where you said when you created love in lockdown that you you fell in love all over again mm-hmm. and that that really gives it gives people hope because we're all hurting so badly from what we've been through in this pandemic and we're nowhere near out of it and it's just so beautiful that you've you've got this I mean I just love the fact that you it made you even closer why, why do you think that is well
2: in, in that whole period, it was like everyone, you know, what what were we yearning for? I guess was connection and warmth. And so for us creatively, you know, we were working on something else, and then we shifted to this idea. Robin brought up this idea, and I immediately, you know, went, "Yes, that's that's exactly." And I think for the same reason that when we pitched it to other writers and to networks they responded because it was a deep feeling for many people to go i I would like to be at the beach with loved ones right now now. that is a that is a a something that we can relate to because it's part of our often in australia it's a context with that that summer holiday that whatever that is wherever that is it's something that means on a deeper level it's about being with someone or some people that we have a connection with so this was kind of pitching an idea into that well of of memory and hopefully an optimistic future and kind of tapping into that, which is what we want. <laughs> you no. Know?
1: You know, it's so easy to fall in love with Wayne again because every single time I mean imagine imagine being with someone that every time you say, I've got this idea, Lucy said this idea for a romantic comedy and it's online it's TV, and I think we should do it. And he goes, Okay. And I said, oh, so I think what about that holiday housey? I think we should do that. And he goes, OK, no matter what I say, he goes, all right, well, fine. Let me research that. Let me find a way to do it. I mean, wh- what's what's not to love? Someone just
0: makes my life come, my dreams come true all the time. My God. Oh, I love that. Well, I I love that and I love you. And I, I do feel like having a big cry because <laughs> but, ha- but happy tears, like really happy tears, and I cannot wait. To see Summer Love And I'm thrilled That you got the rights To use sherbet Summer Love Because it's such a great song Great pop song Yeah Oh it's just It really is It's such a great song And you know To everyone listening Please watch Upper Middle Bogan Please watch Librarians Please watch Little Lunch And I want to talk to Danny Katz And Mitch Bain About Little Lunch Because Danny and I Did gigs together When we first started out And he had this song Called Little White Dove And it's one of the funniest Things I've ever heard And it was such incredible talent you know that you're working with and in my dreams I'll work with you one day I don't know how but I just I would love to work with you because you're so you know you embody the same visions and values and and, uh, as me and I just love everything that you do so Robin Butler Wayne Hope thank you so much for being guests on Laughaholics today I'm really honored to have spoken to you I know how busy you are but I'm just really grateful to have spent this time with you so thank you so much thank Thank you Tracy it was just terrific to talk to you yeah um, beautiful yeah thanks as we all know, podcasts are free to listen to, but they are certainly not free to create. The following extraordinary people have contributed their amazing talents to create Laughaholics, and I wholeheartedly recommend their businesses. Laughaholics audio production, editing, and imaging, brilliantly executed by Daryl Misson. The Laughaholics logo was created by Rick Plumridge at Ricochet Graphics. The Laughaholics show theme was lovingly composed by Steve the Bastard. And for more information on the Laughaholics experience as a professional development tool, please go to tracybartram.com.au where you'll see my new website. Thank you so much to NME Digital for their amazing work. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Laughaholics. Celebrating laughter.